Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. Hey, Courtney, I have a roll call for you. What do these people all have in common? Marcus Garvey, Adam Clayton Powell, A. Philip Randolph, Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammad, Paul Robeson, Roy Wilkins, Thurgood Marshall, Jesse Jackson, W.E.B. Du Bois, Eldridge Cleaver, Huey Newton, Fred Hampton, and Martin Luther King Jr. Well, and Carol, I could say the obvious, they're all men, but actually, I guess it's a roll call of some of the most influential Black African-American leaders and historical figures. Well, you are right on both points, my dear niece, but another more sinister thing they have in common is that the FBI kept extensive files and surveillance reports on all of these leaders. So I'm looking at heroes. I'm looking at historical figures. They're not criminals. That's kind of shady. Well, no, no, they are not criminals. In fact, um, they were very respectable individuals. But the FBI had a program called the Counterintelligence Program, also known as COINTELPRO. And these are files containing details of the Bureau's attempts to, quote, expose, disrupt, and neutralize groups that J. Edgar Hoover perceived as threatening to national security. Now, the material in this file, which spanned from 1956 to 1971, is especially valuable for the view it offers of the U.S. political climate in the 1960s. Now, as a lover of history and intrigue, I would love to see these files, but as an African-American citizen dedicated to educating people about systemic racism, I find it quite troubling. And well, you should find that troubling. Not only did the Bureau surveil individuals, but they notoriously kept tabs on and attempted to disrupt operations of civil rights organizations, including the NAACP, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, also known as SNCC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was headed up by Martin Luther King Jr., the Organization of American Unity, African American Unity, and most notoriously, the Black Panther Party. Well, there's a movie coming out this February about, I think, what you're talking about, focusing on Fred Hammond, uh, Fred Hampton. So after this podcast, I think I'm going to do some research. Well, that would definitely be a motion picture we all want to watch. Now, it wasn't just civil rights leaders and groups that were attacked and tracked by the FBI. Records show that COINTELPRO targeted groups and individuals the FBI deemed subversive, including feminist organizations, the Communist Party USA, anti-Vietnam war organizers, environmentalist and animal rights organizations, the American Indian Movement, independence movements such as Puerto Rican independence groups like the Young Lords, and even hmm, 
the Ku Klux Klan. Who knows, Courtney? Since I participated in anti-war demonstrations and was a very outspoken person uh, during my college years, I even had a campus uh, newspaper column about civil rights, um, you know, my name might be in one of those files. Well, if you made that illustrious list, I am more than proud, dear aunt. <laughs> well, we'll never, I hope we'll never know. Now, the FBI didn't just keep files on people in groups. They sponsored violence, too. Now, in 1971 in San Diego, the FBI financed, armed, and controlled an extreme right-wing group of former members of a group called the Minutemen. This was an anti-communist paramilitary organization that uh, the FBI transformed into a group called the Secret Army Organization. And that group targeted groups, activists, and leaders involved in the anti-war movement. And they... Um, you, they targeted them by using both intimidation and violent acts. Now, I hate to always link back to Rutherford B. Hayes, but that group sounds a lot like the Red Shirts. Well, everything leads back to Rutherford, unfortunately. And yes, they do sound a lot like the Red Shirts. Now, speaking of the year 1971, which by the year, that's what year I graduated from high school, much of the information I'm sharing with you and our listeners come from a documentary by Johanna Hamilton titled 1971. Now, in that documentary, she chronicles a break-in of an FBI office in Media, Pennsylvania, which uncovered much of the COINTRAIL Pro activities. Now, Back to some of those unsavory FBI tactics. Beginning in 1969, leaders of the Black Panther Party were targeted by the COINTELPRO and neutralized by being assassinated, imprisoned, publicly humiliated, or falsely charged with crimes. Now, common tactics used by COINTELPRO were perjury, witness harassment, witness intimidation, and withholding of evidence. But aren't those crimes for just normal, everyday citizens? Well, for those of us who are normal, everyday citizens, but I guess the FBI didn't consider themselves that. Now, the bottom line, these FBI dirty tricks came straight from the top since FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover issued directives that were governing COINTELPRO. He ordered FBI agents to, again, quote, expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize the activities of these movements and especially their leaders. Now, under Hoover, the agent in charge of COINTELPRO was William C. Sullivan and Hmm. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy personally authorized some of the programs. Now, although Kennedy only gave written approval for limited wiretapping of Martin Luther King Jr.'s phones, quote, on a trial basis for a month or so, Hoover, however, extended the clearance so his men were unshackled to look for evidence in any areas of Dr. Martin Luther King's life that they deemed worthy. So given that background, I believe this brings us to the story you're going to share about the Martin Luther King FBI files. Yes, Aunt Carol. And I have to say, doing the research on this topic opened my eyes and set me through a myriad of emotions. Now, before I delve deep into the story, I want to give a warning and a slight disclaimer. 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is and will always be a historical titan. The work he did and the changes he saw in the fight for equality uh, for Black African Americans and others can never be tainted or tarnished. With that being said, he was also a human being and people will do people things. This story will briefly discuss um, some not so great allegations about Dr. King, but that is only for historical and factual purposes. It does not mean to take away from Dr. King's legacy. Also, there might be a slight bit of adult language and content. So those listening with younger historians and younger anti-racist activists, please be advised. Okay, so let's hear what some of these dirty tricks and eventual allegations were. Well, the FBI opened its major investigation into Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference in October 1962. But King's involvement in the civil rights movement, especially the Montgomery bus boycott, put him on Hoover and the FBI's radar very quickly. In a memo, FBI agents reported to their director, J. Edgar Hoover, that King had not been investigated. Hoover simply responded, why not? Elsewhere, he added, let me have more details, and Hoover would get them. Oh, he was digging for dirt. He, he's going to go on my Rutherford B. Hayes list. <laughs> now, the 1963 to 1964 memos and reports selected here represent just a fraction of the paperwork generated in the FBI's campaign to neutralize Dr. King as a civil rights leader. Congressional investigations in the 70s and historian David Garreau's subsequent investigation into the FBI's case on Dr. King eventually brought tens of thousands of FBI documents to public light in his book, The FBI and Martin Luther King Jr. Tens of thousands of documents. Boy, they spent a lot of time following up on Dr. King. A lot. Now, the FBI's interest in King intensified after the March on Washington in August 1963, when King delivered his I Have a Dream speech, which many historians consider the most important speech given of the 20th century. I'd have to agree. Now, after that speech, an FBI memo called King, the most dangerous and effective Negro leader in the country, circulated around the Bureau. Now, meetings were called of each department heads to explore how to best carry out their investigation of Dr. King and produce desired results without any embarrassment to the Bureau itself. Now, it can it concluded a complete analysis of avenues and approaches aimed at uh, neutralizing King. Now, they began to secretly track him and his flights and travel, as well as his associates, in July 1963, a month before the March on Washington. J. Edgar Hoover filed a request, like you stated earlier, with General uh, Attorney General Robert Kennedy to tap the phones. And like you said, they had a small amount of time. Now, initially, the goal was just to credit King and 
place him in the communist category. Now, Dr. King did have associates and were and was friends with members of the Communist Party, but by all accounts, he had severed those ties when he had started working more diligently in the civil rights movement. Now, when the communist accusations didn't stick, Hoover would not be stopped. His hatred of Dr. King was well known throughout the Bureau and can be read about in his personal as well as public memos. After King criticized the FBI's response to civil rights cases, Hoover responded by announcing at a press conference in November 1964 that Dr. King was the most notorious liar in the country. At that point, Hoover set out to smear Dr. King in the most degrading way possible. And I'll tell you all about that after the break. Boy, oh boy. Well, Courtney, what you're describing foreshadows that things Hoover is going to try to put uh, on Dr. King will show him in a very unsavory light. It sounds like COINTELPRO, the program where FBI agents work to expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize leaders and groups deemed un-American, it's, it's about to go full steam on Dr. King. So let's take a breather. Then we come back, we'll take a look at the FBI dirty tricks that were ex exposed. Alrighty, Courtney, we're, we're back. But before you finish, I wanna remind our listeners, if they want to learn more about systemic racism, and if they want to get information that you can't get anywhere else, go to our website, www.whyaretheysoangry.com for more information. And we even have a course you can take called Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All righty, Courtney, I'm ready to hear more about this story with Dr. King and COINTELPRO. So we're back. Now, the FBI has a large amount of incriminating recordings and surveillance on Dr. King by this time. Now, when they couldn't prove he was a communist, the investigation and all the wiretaps turned up something a little bit more salacious. Dr. King's alleged extramarital affairs. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Now, the first incident involved Dr. King at a party at the Willard Hotel in Washington. The FBI recorded the party and captured the sounds of a very adult encounter in the room after the party. The second incident occurred when Dr. King was in a hotel in Los Angeles. There, the agents recorded a group participating in a very drunken, raucous gathering, and allegedly a voice that may or may not have been Dr. Martin Luther King was heard telling kind of an off-colored joke about the recently assassinated John F. Kennedy. Now, Hoover sent the transcripts over to the White House and to the Attorney General uh, immediately. He thought he had found a needle in a haystack. So what did the FBI do with all this information? Well, as it's slowly being unclassified, we're learning what their end game was. It was a letter. A letter? What kind letter. of letter? An anonymous letter. It was sent to Dr. King in 1964, and it was supposed to sound like a 
African-American had wrote it. Now, here's a small excerpt of actually what I can read. And I quote, you have been on record, all of your adulterous acts leading to the past. It threatens that the public will know you for what you are, an evil, abnormal beast. And the letter continues, your honorary degrees, your Nobel Prize, what a farce. And those other awards will not save you, King. I repeat, you're done. There's only one thing left for you to do, and you know what that is. You just have 34 days, the letter says, apparently urging Dr. King to commit suicide. Oh my, this gets really, (laughs) now that letter is salacious. Salacious, disgusting, inappropriate. Now the letter didn't work. Dr. King pressed forward and continued to work in the civil rights movement up until his assassination in 1968. But like you stated, ContelPro did not stop searching and trying to destroy the rise of a Black Messiah figure. My, my, Courtney. The fact that King didn't back down took a great deal of courage, considering how powerful the FBI was and still is. Their ability to smear reputations and discredit leaders was well known and often effective. You know, as I was listening to that story, I wondered if King knew the allegations wouldn't harm him because either they were fabricated or if they were true, they really wouldn't besmirch his reputation. Besides, King's followers may have been willing to forgive indiscretions, but suicide? That would have been an admission of guilt, and it would have brought irreparable harm to King's movement. I agree, Aunt Carol. I'm glad that Dr. King did not back down. And if these indiscretions are true or false, he was a man, but he also knew the movement was bigger. Now, Aunt Carol, something has has to have been done to stop these investigations and smear campaigns from happening. This can't happen now, can it? Oh, I wish I could give you a straight answer, yes. But, Courtney, I guess it's a yes and no to some extent. Let's go back to 1975, which was dubbed the Year of Intelligence, to kind of give you uh, some history and explanation on why my answer is sort of vague. Because of the story you just told and others just as egregious came to light around that time, the church committee chaired by Idaho Senator Frank Church was a United States Senate select committee created in 1975 to investigate abuses by a host of American intelligence agencies, including the CIA, the National Security Agency known as the NSA, the FBI, the Internal Revenue Service, just about anybody who could get into uh, a private citizen's business. The uh, House had a counterpart committee It was called the Pike Committee. And there was also another committee, the Presidential Rockefeller Commission. So that's why 1975 was called the Year of Intelligence, because everybody at those levels, at the, uh, you know, at the the federal level and also in the executive branch, were looking at um, what was going on. And efforts by these committees led to the establishment of what we now have as the Permanent U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. Now, that sounds promising. Checks and balances. And that's what our government should have. So here's what happened. 
Revelations from these investigations pressured President Gerald Ford to issue Executive Order 11905. Now, the order banned political assassinations. But Senator Church criticized this move on the grounds that any future president could easily set aside or change an executive order. And that's why executive orders really, although they're great in some respects, the next president can also come along and just change it and say, I don't like that. I don't want that executive order anymore. Now, in a way, that did happen, but in an opposite direction. When President Jimmy Carter issued Executive Order 12036, that order actually expanded Executive Order 11905 to, again, um, protect people from these kinds of surveillances and dirty tricks. Ever the wise statesman, President Carter gave that order a bit more meat so that the FBI and men like Hoover could not overstep their bounds. I know we need the FBI. I know we need the intelligence community. But this topic is kind of scary. Could they be listening to my cell phone right now? <laughs> they very well could. Who knows? A lot of people actually put a piece of tape over the uh, camera on their on their uh, uh, computers because they feel like there's some kind of surveillance. And some people won't even have those um, assistants like Google and Alexa in their homes because they don't want somebody listening in. But Here's the problem. Here's what usually happens, Courtney. Unfortunately, when either internal or external upheaval hits the country, our leaders tend to revert to some of the authoritarian methods of the past, like COINTELPRO, to again infringe on civil liberties. For example, back during 9-11, the Patriot Act was written following those attacks in an attempt to dramatically tighten U.S. national security, particularly as it related to foreign terrorism. In general, the act included three main provisions. First, it expanded abilities of law enforcement to surveil, including tapping domestic and international phones. It also eased interagency communication to allow federal agencies to more effectively use all available resources in counterterrorism efforts. And this act also increased the penalties for terrorism crimes and an expanded list of activities which would qualify someone to be charged with terrorism. Big Brother is watching. That is so true. The interesting thing, though, about that is sometimes laws like these come back to bite you because January 6th, we may see some people who are going to uh, see the effects of the Patriot Act. Now, there is another act that's important that extended the ability for the government to be into our business, and that was the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA. It was also enacted after 9-11. And it's another avenue for the government to spy on U.S. citizens. This act authorizes the warrantless surveillance program. That is, they don't have to go to a judge to get permission. They can just, you know, check in on us. But that warrantless surveillance program allows the U.S. government to collect emails and phone calls from non-citizens abroad, even when they are communicating with Americans. My Amazon addiction will eventually be exposed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid it could be. I am afraid. But, now, but I, oh, 
what I can say is I can see both good and bad, especially what we saw on January 6th. A lot of patriots will be affected by the Patriot Act and some nefarious foreign countries wanting to attack America will be brought down by this act. So there is some good. There could very well be. And so all of this, again, must be done with measure and uh, consideration before just driving in and taking our, our civil liberties from us. Now, a September 2020 CNN story noted that the top federal court that oversees national security surveillance found that the FBI routinely failed to observe the rules meant to protect the privacy of Americans while searching through emails that were garnered without a warrant. Okay, that's not good. No. What was the response to that? Well, the court also said that the FBI admitted it violated rules which were supposed to protect information about people in the U.S. from being used in criminal investigations that don't relate to national security. Now, the law requires the FBI to seek the court's permission to access such data, but according to the ruling, the FBI has never sought such a court order. So the outcome basically is that the court noted that the FBI wasn't following the rules, but because we really can't get into a lot of the information that this court has available to us, we're not sure if anything happened to or the FBI was punished. This has very, very eerie echoes of the old J. Edgar Hoover COINTELPRO era. Oh, gone but not forgotten. So it's official. He's on the haze list. <laughs> he is indeed. He is indeed. So that's where we are right now, Courtney. Um, it's important for us to remember as we celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday, again, as you said at the top of our show, he is a civil rights titan and cannot be tarnished for being a man. Um, and many of the things that are in these FBI files are merely allegations. They have not been proven up. And therefore, we have to be very careful about this type of information and understand that it was collected specifically to disorient or organizations to disrupt organizations and to set them one against the other uh, in order to bring them down, to bring down their leaders and to bring down the organizations themselves. So that information has to be taken with a grain of salt. I agree. Remember, everyone, it's about the movement, not about the men and women in it. We're all human beings and we all make mistakes. So have a wonderful and exciting Martin Luther King Jr. Day, find a documentary, find a book, listen to the podcast. But if you miss us in between episodes, you can always find us on Instagram at Why Are They So Angry, Facebook at Why Are They So Angry, Twitter at W-A-T-S-A underscore online, and our website, www.whyaretheysoangry.com, where you can take the course Systemic racism, see it, say it, confront it. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time when we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it. <laughs>